This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On February 10th, 1902, a special to the New York Times reported an incredible discovery uncovered in Guadalupe, New Mexico. At face value, this sort of discovery might shatter the academic consensus in the field of archaeology and anthropology and rewrite our understanding of early humanity. According to the article, excavation on a ranch in Guadalupe unearthed an ancient burial plot in New Mexico. Underneath two stones bearing curious inscriptions, the workers uncovered skeletal remains believed to be human. That would be a remarkable archaeological find in its own right. But there's one more feature to this discovery that grabs the attention above all others. The bones are giant. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. You can listen to previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Thursday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, on Twitter at ParCast Network, and at ParCast.com. Some of you have been asking us how you can help support the show. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review online. This is our first episode on the giant skeletons of North America. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, dozens of news articles claimed the discovery of giant human bones throughout the United States. To this day, these articles remain unexplained. The mystery we have for you in these next couple of episodes is a strange one. It begins with newspaper reports from the turn of the century alleging that the remains of human giants have been found in various places throughout the United States. 
What follows is a bizarre intersection of myth and history, science and conspiracy theory, with extraordinary claims leading to some even more extraordinary conclusions. Throughout the late 19th and early 20th century, there are dozens of newspaper articles detailing various discoveries of giant skeletons. But when we try to find more information, the trail goes cold and the story seems to disappear. And yet, claims that giant skeletons were unearthed kept popping up from the early 1800s through the 1930s before they faded from the archives. The writers generally attributed the bones from these articles to some unknown race of Native Americans since they appeared to predate the colonies by several millennia, but no Native tribes displayed the massive physical characteristics of these skeletons. These were real published news reports, which can be found as a matter of public record in the archives of the Library of Congress and the respective newspapers. The veracity of these news reports can, of course, be questioned. However, these stories aren't strictly relegated to the dubious, sensationalist newspapers of their time, what we might roughly call the tabloids. A couple of these stories appear in credible periodicals with a reputation as newspapers of record. Take the alleged skeletal find in Guadalupe, New Mexico, as reported in the New York Times. The forearm was described as four feet long, and the jaw of the remains had teeth the size of a walnut. A proportionally, a human frame possessing these bones could not have been less than 12 feet in height. Luciana Quintana, the overseer of the Guadalupe Ranch, expressed her belief that these bones belonged to an extinct race of giants from the lore of Native Americans in the Southwest United States. She heard these stories passed down through the accounts of Spanish conquistadors. As you can imagine, the claims of giant human bones attracted the attention of archaeologists and antiquarians, who rushed to the Guadalupe Ranch to investigate these claims. Such discoveries, if verified, would be an archaeological revelation, altogether changing our understanding of the development of human biology and culture and the Americas before Christopher Columbus. And yet, the discoveries reported in this New York Times article remain just that, reported. Like most of these reports, this article was never followed up on. Their claims were never confirmed nor denied, and we found no evidence that the remains were publicly claimed by any university or academic organization. Were all these reports, which numbered over 50 unique cases of giant skeletons, fabricated? Did publishers concoct these stories to sell more papers or fall for a common hoax? Or is there more to these stories than it first appears? Could it be that evidence of ancient human giants in the Americas were discovered at these sites, which academia in the United States covered up to serve a political agenda? Native American tribes themselves commonly believe in a race of giants that had gone extinct years before, and stories of those giants play a substantial role in their traditional beliefs and stories. Is it possible that the stories of ancient giants in Native American folklore were based on real beings that lived long before European colonization, with their memory passed down in legends? In short, is it possible that giant humans once lived in North America? And if not, where did the reports of giant bones come from? In part one, we're analyzing the claims that giants were real. In the absence of skeletons to study, 
we'll take a closer look at articles and stories about giants and the people who claim that giant humans existed. In part two, we're going to put those claims to the test, using what we can learn from archaeology and biology to produce several theories about these claims and, finally, come up with the most reasonable explanation. But first, we should set the stage and enter into the ancient and shadowy world of the Americas before Columbus. The first human beings who settled North America are shrouded in mystery. Even today, we don't know who the first people were, how they came to the continent, how they lived, and what they encountered. Archaeologists and anthropologists are forced to arrive at best guesses based on the limited information at their disposal. So if we're going to make sense of the bizarre claims of giants, we have to dig deeper into the ancient people who actually lived in North America, as well as the popular beliefs about giants at the time these articles were written. Only then will we answer the question, is there any evidence of a race of ancient giants in North America? Or are these just tall tales? What does it mean to be human? It's a philosophical question that people have wondered about for all of recorded history. Between 10 million and 4 million years ago, the lineage of modern humans split from the closest living relatives in the animal kingdom, the bonobo and chimpanzee. About 4 million years ago, the first Australopithecines emerged in East Africa. Australopithecines, like the skeletal fossil Lucy, walked upright on two legs and left human-like footprints. But biologists did not recognize Australopithecines as part of the genus of humans, Homo. They gave that designation to Homo habilis, the first hominid we know of that made rudimentary stone tools from 2.1 to 1.5 million years ago. From there, an eruption in the evolution of the hominid species began. Archaeologists have found up to 15 different species of Homo, a number that continues to rise. The first Homo sapiens, or anatomically modern humans, evolved 300,000 years ago in East Africa, like the Australopithecines before them. All modern humans trace back to these Homo sapiens in East Africa. Homo sapiens remained in East Africa until approximately 130,000 years ago, when scientists have the earliest evidence that they migrated elsewhere. Over the next 100,000 years, humans gradually populated northern and southern Africa, then moved into West Asia, Europe, East Asia, Australasia, Siberia, and eventually the Americas, to become the ancestors of all human societies. This is the out-of-Africa model of human migration, and needless to say, it's complicated. At some point, the first modern human beings managed to cross into North and South America. The question is, when and how? For most of modern human existence, North and South America were separated from the other continents by natural obstacles, which would have been daunting for early humans to cross. The Atlantic and Pacific Oceans span thousands of miles, and the narrowest routes for sea crossing from both Europe and Asia are in the icy polar regions. So to understand who the original human beings in the Americas were, archaeologists and anthropologists 
first had to consider when and how they managed to make the crossing. The dominant theory for most of the 20th century was the Beringia theory. It claims that hunter-gatherers migrated into the North American continent from a land bridge that once connected with Asia. During the last ice age, spanning 100,000 years ago to 12,000 years ago, glaciers formed and caused sea levels to fall. The lower sea levels opened a land bridge between Alaska and Chukotka in northeastern Siberia that scientists call Beringia. Still, the glaciers that covered Beringia were inhospitable for human travel, so the land bridge was not passable for early humans until about 20,000 years ago. For a brief window of opportunity, from 20,000 to 10,000 years ago, the glaciers melted enough to clear the tundra for human migration before the rising sea levels cleared the land bridge and formed the Bering Straits. Archaeologists believe that somewhere in that window of time, a sizable group of human beings left East Asia and crossed into North America. The timeline when a land route was cleared in Beringia lines up neatly with the later emergence of the earliest well-identified extensive human culture in North America, the Clovis people. Evidence of the Clovis culture is found throughout North America and as far south as Venezuela. They take their name from the Clovis Points, the distinctive spearheads these prehistoric people crafted, first identified in 1929 by archaeologists in a site near Clovis, New Mexico. Radiocarbon dating indicates the Clovis sites started appearing 13,000 years ago. This aligns perfectly with the timeline of the Beringia land crossing and the opening of a glacier-free corridor to travel southward into the Great Plains. The distribution of sites across North America, in Washington State, Colorado, Texas, and even South America, suggests that the Clovis people did, in fact, spread out from the Great Plains. Biological evidence around the same period suggests the people were following game to hunt. Roughly 12,000 years ago, large mammals started to go extinct, such as the giant sloths, camelops, and most notably mastodons, like the famous mammoth. This dramatic but mysterious ecological event is known as the Quaternary Megafaunal Extinction. Scientists generally agree, based on animal bone fragments collected near Clovis sites, that the Clovis people hunted large mammals like the mastodon. This extinction event suggests a regrettable consequence of the Clovis people in North America. Did all these animals disappear because human beings like the Clovis people hunted them to extinction? That's one theory. But another theory suggests that their extinction was caused by climate change. The same warming period that opened up the land bridge into North America may have been inhospitable to large mammals adapted for the cold weather. Most likely, it's a combination of the two. Human hunting probably exacerbated the struggle of large mammals to adapt to the new climate and certainly didn't help their chance of survival. In any case, the dwindling of large hunting game likely presented a strong motivation for human beings to cross into the new continent and then spread out in search of food. The identification of the Clovis people was a remarkable breakthrough for scientists and historians. It seemed that the mystery of the first inhabitants of North America had been solved. 
This was the scientific consensus from the mid-20th century until the turn of the millennium, when several shocking discoveries seemed to completely dismantle the Clovis first hypothesis. These discoveries cast an even larger shadow of the great mystery of the North American migration and would perhaps unseat our understanding of human evolution entirely. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now the story continues. In 1982, remains of human settlement from the Monteverde site in southern Chile were carbon dated to at least 14,500 years ago, and perhaps much older. Given how far south from Berengia it is, the Monteverde site was at least a thousand years too early for the Clovis first timeline. At first, scientists were skeptical. But as other discoveries in North and South America corroborated the Monteverde find, anthropologists and archaeologists were forced to concede that there were pre-Clovis people living in the Americas. The carbon dating of these finds strongly suggests that some people managed to arrive in the Americas before the Barangia land bridge was cleared of glacial ice. But who they were and how they arrived in the Americas is a mystery. Pre-Clovis sites are dated to less than 16,000 years old. Any site dated less than 20,000 years ago is still within the time frame archaeologists would expect given the current model for human migration out of Africa. But there's an exception, one with the potential to completely overturn our scientific understanding of human settlement in the Americas. One of the most dramatic and controversial finds related to the pre-Clovis people came in 2017, only a few months ago, at the Ceruti Mastodon site in California. The researchers at the site found worn-down cobbles and mastodon bones that appeared to show signs of intentional breaking, which implies human-like crafting. On its own, it's an interesting discovery. But the story exploded because the mastodon bones were much, much older than any model of human settlement before it, 130,000 years old. Now, most scientists are skeptical of these claims, and we need more evidence to corroborate the evidence at the Ceruti site. But if the claims are verified, it suggests that people were hunting mastodons and crafting tools in the Americas over 100,000 years before the Clovis culture. More importantly, it would torpedo the current model for human migration out of Africa. 
It would suggest that there were people in the Americas before our evidence has shown that Homo sapiens had migrated out of Africa 100,000 years ago. The Cerruti Mastodon claims lead to an astonishing possibility that the first humans in North America weren't humans at all. At least not the anatomically modern Homo sapiens we know today, but rather a different, older species, capable of tool-making, like Homo erectus. Worn-down cobbles and mastodon bones tell us little about who this hypothetical human-like species might have been. We can only speculate, but is it possible that this earlier species in the Americas could be or could have evolved into the ancient giants we're interested in? That's a big speculation, with very little archaeological evidence to support it. All the same, we can't discount the possibility either. On at least one occasion, scientists found an early hominid with physical characteristics so different from modern humans that they resembled a creature from fairy tales. In 2003, archaeologists in Indonesia found the remains of a hominid on the island of Flores. They belonged to a species existing before Homo sapiens, most likely descended from Homo erectus, but unlike both Sapiens and Erectus, these remains were tiny. The species, named Homo floresiensis, stood only 1.1 meters tall, roughly 3 feet 7 inches in height. As a result, this diminutive, human-like creature was nicknamed the Hobbit. Homo floresiensis most likely arrived on the small island of Flores around 1 million years ago. Survival pressures on the island led to a reduction of body mass in a process called insular dwarfism, hence their hobbit-like size. Maybe we can speculate that survival pressures led some hominids to alter their physical characteristics in the other direction, to grow taller in order to compete with larger predators and prey. Before modern human beings, North and South America were full of large mammals, megafauna like the mammoth and giant sloth. It's tempting to speculate that a hominid with a more primitive tool-making capability, like Homo erectus, arrived in North America before modern humans and may have been forced to adapt by growing in size. But the evidence is too scarce to make any conclusions. Until archaeologists find more evidence that corroborates the presence of human ancestors in North America over 100,000 years ago, we can't say for certain what these broken mastodon bones show. They could be a sign of a tool-making culture, or just a fluke of nature. What we can say is that human settlement of the Americas remains a mystery. Our knowledge of the Americas before Columbus is incomplete. There are serious unresolved holes in our understanding and problems that experts have yet to explain. The simple and elegant Berengia theory that archaeologists and anthropologists created for the settlement of the Americas could no longer be defended when new authoritative evidence was uncovered. For now, the early history of the Americas is a puzzling, shadowy, mysterious place. And as is often the case, it's in the puzzling, shadowy, mysterious places that rumors of monsters often appear. Is it possible that somewhere in the gaps of our knowledge of North America before European settlement, there were giant humans that went extinct? Remarkably, there are some people who believe that's the case, and they believe they have proof. By definition, 
Giants are beings of human or humanoid appearance, but extraordinary in size. They're a common monster in Native American folklore, as they are in many different cultures. The word giant is originally derived from the Greek gigantis, a mythological race of massive size. The name is commonly translated as the Earthborn, or the offspring of Gaia, goddess of the Earth. It's from their size and stature that we get other words like gigantic and even the scientific prefix for one billion, giga. In Greek mythology, the Gigantes were an ancient, powerful, but violent race who challenged the Olympian gods for power. This is not dissimilar from the way Native American tribes commonly characterize giants in their own legends. Primeval, wild, savage, and man-eating, they embody the dark and frightening characteristics of nature. Charles Godfrey Leland, an American writer and folklorist of the late 19th century, shared the tale of the great Chinu from the Passamaquoddy people in his early ethnographic work, Algonquin Legends of New England. A Chinu, or Kawakwu, was a giant man to be both devil and cannibal, with a heart of ice and stone. The Coast Salish tribes of the Pacific Northwest told legends of the ogress Sanakwa, a giant woman who captured careless children and carried them in a basket on her back to her lair, where she would eat them. The Iroquois of New York State believed in a race of stone giants, a race as old as creation with stone-hard skin that made them nearly invulnerable. And the Paiute tribes of the southwestern United States told stories of the Saitika, a race of red-haired cannibalistic giants who were annihilated when the Paiutes chased them into the Lovelock Cave and trapped them in a fire. But the most famous creature of this type originating from native folklore is the Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. Now, the name Sasquatch was coined in the 1920s by J.W. Burns, a Canadian educator who worked with the Chehalis people in the Pacific Northwest. He collected stories from various tribes and borrowed a Salishan term to refer to a hypothetical creature that might be the basis for many similar but differing oral accounts of wild, man-ape-type creatures in the forests of the Cascade region. Burns' combination of the oral traditions helped standardize and popularize the modern portrayal of Bigfoot. It was a useful exercise in hypothesizing about a creature based on comparative mythology, but it may have exaggerated the consistency of portrayals of these Bigfoot-like creatures among the folklore of the Coast Salish. Narrowing down a portrayal or story of giants to a single tribe is often difficult, in part because such stories were common. For example, the ranch overseer quoted in the New York Times article we opened today's episode with claimed that she heard Native American legends about an extinct race of giants, but she doesn't specify a specific legend or tribe. It could be from the Navajo, the Apache, or the Puebloans. It could be a mixture of all three or none of them. As Joseph Campbell notes in The Hero with a Thousand Faces, quote, such legends of archaic giants are common to folk traditions everywhere, end quote, which begs the question, why? Why are these giants so common in folklore and myth around the world? Are their portrayals just a coincidence? Or are they evidence of something real? There may not be a single answer, 
Myths and folktales, by their nature, are stories that generally exceed the possibilities of common human experiences, yet carry great cultural importance. We should regard them as dramatizations which may contain an element of truth, whether it's a natural phenomenon, a cultural value, a psychological experience, or perhaps a fanciful retelling of history. Giants could be in folklore for any one of those reasons. For example, giants take something that is common to all human societies, the people themselves, and exaggerates their size to make them more compelling, just as trees or animals were in other myths. This also makes them a useful device for explaining strange natural phenomena that various cultures couldn't understand. As mythologist Lottie Motz notes, when geographic features seemed unnatural or unusual, many people ascribed a human-like creative agenda to their formation. For example, the New England Pequot people believed the giant Moshup tried to build a bridge to the island of Martha's Vineyard, and Moshup's failed attempt left behind a legacy in rocky areas and large footprints. While that may explain why people like to tell stories about giants, it's missing an explanation for the conspicuous similarities of their descriptions. The tribe of giants, wild and untamed, noted for their ancient and savage character. Some people go so far as to suggest that strong similarities in stories about giants are evidence that they originated from factual accounts. In other words, they suggest that giants were once real. Before the methods of modern history, important events such as great battles or natural disasters were remembered in myths and legends, passed down through generations orally. Each retelling of the legends may obscure true events as generations pass, but that doesn't mean they don't have history within them. However, there's a difference between conjecture about how legends might have been based on real events and another to use it as evidence of fanciful creatures like giants. Which is why investigators are trying to uncover other evidence of giants, which they believe elite academic institutions have willfully ignored. Some of these believers are religious groups. For example, there are Christian apologists who believe in the inerrancy of biblical scripture and believe all stories of giants are based on the Nephilim described in the Bible. According to the Bible, Nephilim were creatures that lived before the Great Flood. They were the offspring of a sinful relationship between human women and the sons of God, most likely angels. They were described as large, mighty, and vicious, cursed by the taboo of their existence. But not all investigators are Christian fundamentalists. Others subscribe to a movement of thought called esotericism. And it's the extraordinary claims of theirs that we're about to consider. Because a group of esotericists are vocal in their belief that elite academic institutions in the United States have not just ignored evidence of giants, but they've actively covered it up. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now, back to Unexplained Mysteries. The mysteries shrouding the early ancestors of North America and the numerous cross-cultural references to a race of giants are not by themselves substantial pieces of evidence to prove the existence of giants. But when we begin to consider the dozens of 19th century newspaper reports claiming that giant bones were found in America, things start to get intriguing. 
the people who most strongly believe in the existence of giants subscribe to a line of thinking called esotericism. Esotericism does not have a clearly delineated doctrine that followers must adhere to, but a heterogeneous hodgepodge of speculative ideas about spirituality and society. The common theme is the search for a shared wisdom or metaphysical truth in the various forms of spirituality held by different ancient cultures. Adherents are generally disenchanted with the orthodoxies of both religious dogma and modern rationalism. They instead fuse mystic traditions from East and West with Gnostic philosophy, occultism, pagan ritualism, and research. Their ideas are generally considered on the fringes of science and history. Esotericism itself is an old movement. Some branches, like the Theosophical Society, have been around since the 19th century. But more recently, esotericism is closely identified with the New Age, rooted in the counterculture of the 1960s. And esotericism typically embraces topics outside of the mainstream of academia. The lost continent of Atlantis, witchcraft, UFOs, and of course, giants. Believe it or not, the existence of giants has played a prominent role in the ideas of esotericism for centuries. One of the key texts that inspired esotericism, The Secret Doctrine, published in 1888 by Helena Blavatsky, argued that a race of ancient giants described across many cultures were real, against the rejections of scientists in the late 19th century. Given all the stories of giants from mythology and even classical historians, she writes, quote, Is it possible that prejudice would carry science so far as to class all these men as either fools or liars? End quote. But they take it one step further. Investigators in esotericism not only believe that modern scientists reject the evidence of giants, but that some scientists have actively conspired to cover it up. The strongest piece of evidence that they cite in their favor are the dozens of newspaper articles contemporary to the 19th century claiming that bones of giants have been discovered and are under investigation by various academics. Dozens of articles from the mid-19th century to the early 20th century allege that the bones of giant human beings have been excavated. These articles were really published. The Evening Times, August 17, 1897. A giant at least seven feet tall found by road excavators in Burlington, Iowa. The Baltimore American, January 5, 1906. Gigantic skeletons discovered along the bank of the Choptank River by employees of the Maryland Academy of Science. Evening Times Republican, November 25, 1908. The skeleton of a man over seven feet in height found by excavators. The Walla Walla Statesman, November 13, 1906. Eight-foot skeleton found in Quincy, Illinois. The New York Times, May 4, 1912. Giant skeletons found in Lake Delavan, Wisconsin, with a sloped back head and high cheekbones. And this New York Times story, by the way, came nearly a decade after the other Times story we introduced at the beginning of our show. These articles pose a problem. Not all these newspapers are credible, but some are. The New York Times, for example, was regarded at the time as a newspaper of record, a periodical with reputation for credibility and trustworthiness. We can't attribute these articles to a short-lived wave of giant mania either. 
they were broadly published over several decades from the late 19th century up to the early 20th century. But not all newspaper articles on the subject trusted the veracity of claims that ancient giants had been discovered. Some outright lambasted the idea. In one article, the San Francisco Call interviewed Harvey Harkness, president of the Academy of Sciences, about the subject, and Harkness immediately scoffed at the idea. He wrote, quote, These giant stories crop up periodically. The locality of their finding changed, to be sure. But in other respects, the same flavor of untruth pervading them all. There not only has never existed a race of giants, but that all the people of the past were, as a rule, smaller in their dimensions than are the people of the present day." End quote. His skepticism was not unfounded, and not just because the claims were unbelievable and lacked independent confirmation. Fabricated stories of giants were well-precedented at the time. One need look no further than one of the most infamous hoaxes in U.S. history, that of the Cardiff giant. In 1868, around the same time that these articles first started appearing, cigar maker George Hull orchestrated an elaborate hoax when he purchased a block of gypsum, hired a Chicago-based stonecutter to carve it into the shape of a 10-foot-tall naked man. Hull then gave it to his cousin, William Newell, to bury it in the ground on his farm in Cardiff, New York. One year later, in 1869, Newell instructed two workmen to dig for a well on the spot where the giant was buried. Sure enough, on October 16th, the workmen found the stone giant. The Cardiff giant briefly became a new sensation when Newell charged 25 cents for people to see it themselves. Even though academics could immediately identify that it was a fake, many people thought the giant was real. Complicating matters, P.T. Barnum, the infamous circus showman, tried to purchase the Cardiff giant for himself. And when Hull and Newell declined, Barnum went ahead and made a copy of his own, claiming that his giant was real and the one that Hull and Newell had was fake. George Hull and William Newell tried to get an injunction against P.T. Barnum, but they were unwilling to swear under oath that their giant was real. Two months later, George Hull finally came forward and admitted that the Cardiff giant was a hoax. However, the Cardiff giant was well-documented, investigated, and disproven. Most of the articles we are examining were not put under the same microscope, and without follow-up reporting, were forced to speculate. If bones of ancient giants were verified, it would turn archaeology upside down and rewrite the history of North America as we know it. But the significance of these finds weren't remarked upon. Academics did not publicize any rumored finds or put them on display. If these alleged giant skeletons were real, why can we only hear about it from sporadic secondary sources, in many cases appearing decades apart? This is where investigators of esotericism point the finger at academia, claiming they didn't want to face the implications of such monumental discoveries. So elite academia hid the bones from public view to support the political needs of their profession and the U.S. government, which is why the bones disappeared shortly after they were discovered. At least, this is the claim made by Richard Dewhurst in his book, The Ancient Giants Who Ruled America, The Missing Skeletons, and The Great Smithsonian Cover-Up. In his book, Dewhurst, a former editor of the Miami Herald, makes some pretty extraordinary claims 
about a deliberate attempt to cover up these finds by the Smithsonian Institution. Quoting Dewhurst, quote, We have a perfect storm of wrong-headed thinking in order to protect current scientific theory. And central to the promotion of wrong-headed thinking has been the Smithsonian Institution. What my research has revealed is that the Smithsonian has been at the center of a vast cover-up of America's true history since the 1880s, end quote. And as Dewhurst claims, the Smithsonian Institution intended to distort and cover up common knowledge that giants once ruled the Americas. He writes, quote, Long before the so-called discovery of America, this land was populated by very ancient peoples, some of whom were of enormous size, as attested to by the numerous reports of giant finds. These reports make it clear that in the 19th century, such finds were common knowledge around the country." End quote. But why would the Smithsonian Institution do this? Dewhurst himself points the blame at Major John Wesley Powell, an explorer, professor of geology, and the first director of the Smithsonian's Bureau of Ethnology. John Wesley Powell was a celebrated figure in the late 19th century United States. A staunch abolitionist and Union veteran of the Civil War, Powell was wounded by a Confederate rifle bullet at the Battle of Shiloh, which forced him to lose most of his right arm. But his wounds hardly slowed him down. In 1869, he led the famous Powell Geographic Expedition down the Green and Colorado Rivers in the southwestern United States. He and his crew became the first men of European descent to successfully navigate the entire Grand Canyon. Following his remarkable success, he became the chief of the U.S. Geological Survey and a founder of the National Geographic Society. He also served at the Smithsonian Institution as a director at the Bureau of Ethnology, making him one of the most powerful scientists in the country. But while Powell was admired for his ruggedness and intellect, Dewhurst paints a much different picture, that of a dogmatic and vindictive man who was motivated by a belief in manifest destiny and a grievance against Mormonism. Mormons, after all, believed that lost tribes of Israel were to be found in America. And while Powell was coming of age in the mid-19th century, Mormons were still regarded as a deviant cultural movement. But Dewhurst states a more personal grievance. Powell was the son of an itinerant preacher in western New York during a time of religious fervor known as the Second Great Awakening. The region was deemed the burned-over district because it was a center of radical Christian movements like Adventism and Mormonism. According to Dewhurst, Powell's father was a traditional Methodist who lost his followers to early Mormon missionaries. For this reason, Powell allegedly carried a grudge against Mormons and their doctrines well into his adulthood. Whatever the reason, Dewhurst claims that John Wesley Powell wished to hide any evidence of people other than the natives prior to the European settlement, including giants. Furthermore, Powell championed the burgeoning theory of evolution and wished to provide support by showing that human beings grew taller and smarter with each subsequent species, a narrative which giants conflicted with. Finally, 
According to Dewhurst, Powell tried to dismiss Native American cultural knowledge and painted the natives as uncivilized in order to justify the federal government's intention to annex their territory. This included, of course, the natives' beliefs about giants. Following Powell's tenure at the Smithsonian Institution, what Dewhurst calls the Powell Doctrine became the dogma of academia in the Smithsonian and at all major universities in the United States. So what happened to the bones of giants? According to Dewhurst, the Smithsonian hurried to any excavation site, confiscated them for further examination, and then locked them away, never to be seen again, all in the service of perpetuating a giant academic fraud. Now that's a dramatic, provocative claim from Dewhurst. But what is the evidence he provides for his claims? Not much. Mostly, his arguments depend on the same newspaper excerpts from the archives that we discussed earlier. His claim about the Smithsonian Institution perpetuating a vast, widespread cover-up at many sites across the United States appears to be an ad hoc argument to justify ancient giants as a possibility. In other words, if giant skeletons were discovered as these articles claim, he has to justify the lack of academic literature discussing their veracity. To that end, Richard Dewhurst envisaged a vast conspiracy to carry out a cover-up without any evidence that a cover-up took place. This does not satisfy us. Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence, which Dewhurst does not provide beyond a few shallow attacks on the character of the Smithsonian Institution. In the end, we can't take either these newspaper articles or Native American legends at face value as evidence that ancient giants existed. But we do not have a satisfactory explanation for them either. While some of the more sensationalist claims can be dismissed as yellow journalism, like the New York Sun's story on nine-foot mummies in California, other stories are more grounded and seem more credible. In the absence of more detailed descriptions of these reported finds, we have to dig deeper into the claims in journalism around the 19th century. If ancient giants were never discovered, why were these articles ever printed? Were the stories all just frauds like the Cardiff giant? Or is there another explanation for the false claims? Furthermore, if we're going to assess their believability, we also need to study the physical limitations of the human body to see if giants are a biological possibility. Finally, to explain these newspaper articles, we need to ask the question posed previously. Is it possible to class all these men as either fools or liars? If we can't, must we conclude that ancient giants were real? If you're looking for more Unexplained Mysteries, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Everyone always asks how to help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, 
Sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Connor Rakes and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>